0: everyone and welcome to Bridge to the Bay with Dr. Varis. I'm Dr. Matt Varis and this is episode nine with Dr. Stephen Sherman. Now Stephen and I met in grad school but didn't really get to know each other that much but always had sort of overlapping friend groups and interests and kind of wanted to get to know each other better but uh, couldn't really find the time, wasn't really right. But what's really cool is I live in San Francisco now and uh, being a big city sometimes people come to visit and Stephen was here for a big stem cell conference actually, so I was lucky enough to have him on the podcast. Now, we talk about how Stephen grew up in Canada, had a tough childhood in many ways, um, on through to undergrad, which was a bit choppy, as for myself, a little bit about his experience in grad school, um, but really talking about why we want to pursue the careers we do, Um, why we're interested in the subjects we are. And uh, Steven really talks about his thought process going through each of the steps and eventually talks about why he went to industry and why he thinks that's the right decision and his thought process all along the way. So if any of that sounds of interest to you, then enjoy. And if not, hopefully one of the future episodes will be of interest. Thanks. Hey Steven, how's it going, man? Thanks for doing this with me.
1: Yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries. It's going. yeah, the ISSCR definitely brings people together in weird ways, but
0: yeah. Could you just uh, break down what that means for the audience here?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's a scientific conference um, that basically encompasses the majority, if not all, of stem cell biology. Oh wow. Um, it's at this point like forty three hundred people that are like members for it and all that kind of stuff. Not not as many given COVID right yeah, now. Yeah. And, and like I feel like there's a lot of people in the online version of it, like virtual, or whatever. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's like a four day event type of deal. Um, so far it's been like seven a.m. to seven p.m. every day.
0: Jeez, yeah, those are crazy days. Yeah, but they like to torture us when we go to the big <laughs> conferences, right? Yeah, <laughs> like you got to wait all year just to not sleep for a few days.
1: Yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, for this, it's it's been easier just because I'm on East Coast, so the the time wise element i'm getting tired by like 9 p.m here okay yeah <laughs> so
0: the wake-ups aren't as hard yeah yeah that's it makes good. it easier but right.
1: almost certainly as soon as i go back i'm going to be used to this time and yeah it's just going to be trying to get used right. to that yeah
0: <laughs> yeah um well it's really cool that you know we could kind of link up during this um kind of found out maybe like a week or two ago you're going to head down through our mutual friend Dylan.
1: Yeah, I didn't even know you're here actually.
0: Yeah? yeah. this is pretty wild. It's like,
1: <laughs> "Hey, you should come hang out. And Matt's here." And yeah. It's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's uh there there's only a handful of people that I know um in this area mostly in the tech space, not yeah. biotech space, but yeah, it's surprising.
0: Yeah. So this is I guess one of the first podcasts where, you know, a traveler can come by and kind of capture you for a few minutes, take some of your time. Um, but I'm really grateful that you're willing to do this with me. And I think it'll be a cool podcast because um, I think the journey you've taken is a good example of the story I'm trying to tell for this podcast, trying to give people an idea of what it's like to take a career path outside of academia.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, initially, I was, um, that was not a mindset that I had. At okay. All, no. I was like very academically driven uh, and I was just thinking that I was going to go down that road and see it right through to the end kind of deal. Yeah. Um, And it definitely had its like unexpected turns and twists in a way that uh, it it was very suggestive to to take an industry position. But there's a lot of factors in there too. I mean like there's uh, kind of the ignorance of, of industry in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the institute that we are at for, for our grad school. It's like there's very few seminars and people from industry that come in. And yeah. if they do, it's like they come in from like stem cell technologies where they're just doing like development of medias and stuff like right. that, but not actually doing like, well, I don't want to shit on them for this, but not actually doing like research, research, like right. basic research kind of thing. And I I can appreciate like their, their job is important. And that's like, if someone's interested in that, that's fantastic because that's stuff we need. But at the same time, it's not the type of research I was ever interested in. Um, And then because you don't have that exposure, you're just assuming like the worst out of everything. And you're just like, okay, well, the things I do see are things like that. And it's like, I can, know that's not for me. Or the things I hear about are like the big companies and they just like, Bark orders at people and then you just like have your period in time where you're like working as a machine essentially until you get up right. in ranks and all that. So like that that type of prospect to me was just like, nah, I, I'm not not about that at all. Yeah. Um and, and there's no really information on the biotech startup scene at all. Right. Um I mean, obviously you can look into it. Internet exists. I'm, yeah. I'm a lazy guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but fr- from the academic side, it's like the the biggest factors there was the the autonomy uh, to be able to do kind of what you want and that like kind of freedom to go about it in a way that you want to go about it, which still falls in the category of autonomy. But mm-hmm. like just overarchingly, that that element of autonomy was something that was very important to me yeah. for for career related stuff. Um And that's something that, I mean, to this day in general, it's like anything that I do overall, it's like, I want to have my own kind of take on it. I want to be able to do it in a way that interests me that I think will be kind of the best and I can learn from it. Because at the end of the day, it's like everything that anyone does, if you're trying to pull an experience from something, if you're Mm -hmm. not doing it in the way that you want to do it, then you're not going to be getting what, like, well, like max value off of right. that, right? Oh yeah,
0: of course. I think that's, that's pretty wise, um, but I would totally agree as well. Yeah. Do, do, you, like, do it like you mean it so you can actually get something out of the experience.
1: Yeah, exactly. And if, if you're just being like coaxed through it, um, it's not something that has the same kind of impact as well. Like if yeah. you don't have the opportunity to fail, for example. Like that's one thing that uh, people, people undervalue to the max. Like, <laughs> like failing is, is not, it doesn't feel good, but yeah. that's exactly why you learn so deeply from it. Oh yeah, stuff it's the like biggest
0: that. learning experience. Yeah,
1: because it's just a discomfort. Like any any situation someone's put through discomfort, it's like it, it does two things for you. One, it allows you to learn immensely from it, but yeah. it also gives you perspective. And it puts you in a place where like if you had to go through those hardships, coming out of the other end and seeing something that would be a hardship for somebody else who hasn't had hardships, yeah. it's like a walk in the park for you. And you're just kind of yeah, like, true. yeah, that's
0: great. <laughs> yeah, you get stronger as you yeah, go through yeah. it, for sure. Absolutely. Um. So yeah, we'll, we'll get back to it. I want to give everyone like a little background and like kind of where you came from, yeah. um, how you grew up a little bit to kind of frame, you know, who you are and then that can inform people on, you know, the perspective of your decision-making process as you're going along the stages.
1: Yeah, right. sure. <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, it gets dark quick. <laughs>
0: um. I've, well, if you're willing to tell it, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's,
1: that's fine. That's fine. Um, so Where do I start here? Well,
0: first of all, how do we know each other?
1: Uh, Very briefly through a graduate program at Western University. Yeah. Um, I think we spoke a total of like maybe twice for (laughs) five minutes apiece kind of thing in group settings. (laughs) Um, So I didn't really get to have like a huge, huge amount of interaction there. Um, But yeah, you were in in the lab, if I remember correctly. And then I was over at Robarts and and Dave Hess's lab. Um, Yeah. And there would be the occasional grad club thing that everybody would be at. But outside of that, yeah, no, it's I only ever heard like talks and stuff like that that you'd give in seminars right. or whatever. But yeah,
0: likewise. Yeah. It was always, uh, you know, Stephen or Tyler are doing a big talk. Yeah. You guys always <laughs> killed it. So we always made a point to go see it. Yeah, this is a good time. Yeah. A good time.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's uh, actually, so there, there's a handful of people um, that I wanted to be able to know more. You were one of them. Oh, nice. Uh, and Matt McCann was another one. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. he's awesome. He's, he's a cool dude. Um, yeah. I spoke with him slightly more, but I didn't get to actually like hang out with him all that much. Um, I, yeah, it was just different timings and stuff like that. It was just didn't work out. But, yeah. yeah. And now he's real far. Yeah. He's in Aussie land or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it
0: looks like he's going to stick around there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wasn't his bugs in good weather? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I I think he's
0: happy though, but I should get him on this podcast. He is an interesting journey too. Yeah. He's a double doctor now. Yeah. yeah. And he took the long way there. Yeah.
1: So it's the longest. The longest. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, he went and did a stint in what New York for, um, masters, uh, the nutrition masters and then jumped over to med school in, in Aussie land.
0: Yeah. Yeah. After a PhD. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, Dave. Dave from our lab was very similar. He finished up his PhD and then went into med school right after. So I think he's in internal med in Hamilton now, or something like that. Okay, but yeah,
0: some yeah. people do it. So uh, it's not for me. But there's a couple of guys my age too from our program that did that. One of them went to Ireland, and then one of my lab mates, Jeff, who I'll have on here one day. Um, I know. I know Jeff a little bit more.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's at Queens a now. Yeah, for he's a cool guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so. I guess getting to origin stories here. Um, it, it was, oh geez, there's just like so many small factors that shape somebody. Um, so family wise, um, my dad and mom divorced and she left the scene when I was two, oh, goodness. which is, which is wild. Cause like this was, uh, in the nineties, right? Yeah. So like to have a, a father being the person who was the sole custody owner of well, in this case, three kids. I got two brothers. Oh my
0: goodness. Wow.
1: Um it was pretty wild in that yeah. sense. Um so that that was like origins of that, um, where obviously people have dysfunctional families that shapes probably pretty broadly who they are yeah um and like even for my brothers or whatever we're all like very different in our own ways but there's also like the the age impact difference of that exact situation that kind of feeds forward and it's like my experience of it is a lot different than my brother who has a year on me and another brother who has like four years on me yeah so like there was, for example, in his case, which is like probably max exposure, like four yeah. years worth of time where just like shit's going down and then that falls apart and then there's a lot more understanding and context and all that kind of stuff. And then for me, it's just like, you don't even know who you are. <laughs> you, right? You, you, like self-awareness is probably like just forming when this stuff is happening. So it's it's not as like, I don't know. Well, maybe there's some depth to it. I just don't understand. But yeah, so that happened. Uh, there's like a period in time where my dad was single um, he just workaholic like that's that's just the way he was mm-hmm. so he was always just doing stuff on that front um, but he was like more family oriented and that kind of thing in general uh, at the time from what I can rem- remember like a nice person um, and then around the age of seven or so uh, he met my stepmom and then got involved with her and uh, she had a couple of kids of her own one of them was with the father and then the other one come, came with us or whatever so it's was, it was like uh, me, my two brothers, step brother who was the same age as my oldest brother. Mm-hmm. So me, and my my brother who were a year older, we were tight. And then those two were uh, like they're doing their thing or whatever. And mm-hmm. obviously being four years older, yeah. it's like I don't want to hang out yeah, with for sure. <laughs> so yeah, they they kind of did did their own thing or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, the stepmom was like all forms of crazy. Jeez. Um, so by the age of 16 for my stepbrother, which would put me at 12 or so, um, he ran away, went, went to, uh, their, his dad's place. And then, uh, probably about a year later or so my oldest brother at the time, uh, got kicked out and, uh, it was just largely cause there was all these like sub stipulations uh that my parents would have on like you have to get this this type of grades and that kind of stuff you have to do these many chores and contribute in these ways and that kind of stuff so anything that kind of deviated from those expectations there's always this threat to be like you're gonna get kicked out of the house and da 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 and um it was something that i think legally speaking at the age of 16 or something i don't know Mm -hmm. if it was actually legal or not but um they ended up kicking him out and then um my brother, who was a year older than I am, followed suit uh, about three years later or so. Ended up buying his own car and they fucking tripped on him. Uh, they they essentially like we, we also had stipulations for like budgeting and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were very like keen on us getting jobs like super early. So we had like uh, paper route and that kind of thing to start, which is like nice thing to do or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that started, I think, around eight years old for me or so uh, and then that was kind of like the only job you can reasonably get yeah. legally for yeah. somebody that's like that young otherwise it starts getting into the exploitation range I guess sure. yeah <laughs> um, and then at around 13 years old uh, then my parents were like you're getting a real job blah blah blah, blah. Um, and that at the time anyways so this, that would have been like 2013 um, there were laws basically saying you cannot be getting like jobs until you're like 15 kind of thing. And my parents just like the psychos they are, it's just like, no, you're getting a job and you're going to like every weekend, you're going to spend your free time just applying to places. And like, this was in Kitchener too. It's like, how many places can you fucking apply to? And like, there's, there's a limit there. It's like, there's yeah. Um, and I ended up Weirdly, well, no, not weirdly, I guess, but getting a job at a, a, a family-owned restaurant. Uh, it's a place called Jolene's. Um, I don't know if you ever heard that. No. They don't exist anymore. Okay. But uh, so this place was like this family-owned uh, place. They were either Ukrainian or Serbian or something like that, um, something like Slavic. Mm-hmm. Um, and got a job there at 13. They were paying me under the table. Yeah. essentially. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't be on the books, right? right. Like, <laughs> yeah. There was nothing you could do there. Um, and, and that, that was an interesting experience in general. I mean, it it was, it was something that, um, like looking back at it or whatever, it was a good experience. It wasn't, wasn't ideal because having jobs like that in general, you tend to interact with individuals that are not going to be going anywhere because they're in their like mid thirties, maybe early forties doing a job like that. And it's like, not to say you can't change, but the odds of that happening in a town like Kitchener is just like almost none. And
0: the restaurant industry is extra kind of shady.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean like, so at that age, um, and the guy I was working with, he's an awesome dude, um, but our routine essentially was I would get home from school, I would like run over to work, and then uh, the this place was like two doors down from LCBO. Mm-hmm. So for people who don't know what an LCBO is, it is right. a liquor store in Ontario, yeah. uh, and, and the way that the liquor industry operates is that it is a government-owned system. You mm-hmm. can't be a private organization, so... The organization known as LCBO is the only liquor store, other than what's called the beer store. Right. Um, you cannot get liquor anywhere else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they they had one two doors down, and and basically the routine was he'd go and get a couple tall boys, come back over we'd sit on the back steps, smoke a joint and drink the tall boys <laughs> and then we'd begin our shift. Nice. <laughs> so it was a pretty good time. Uh, and, and for that end, I mean, like those types of experiences I wouldn't necessarily encourage at that age, uh-huh. but <laughs> I mean, I survived. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that, not, that was kind of the, the workflow there. Uh, and that was going for, I, I was there for like three years as a dish bitch. Um, and then, I ended up getting a job, um, after that in high school at, uh, as a barista and, uh, another kitchen job and then doing like kind of odds and ends, uh, construction-y type work with my dad who's getting in more into like renovating type, uh, type of projects. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, um, so that would like trajectory wise, it was just kind of like constantly like having this, you got to get a job, you got to work, um, all the while with their kind of psychotic ways of uh, like, oh, you have to save, what was it? It was uh, 75% of each paycheck we had to save for for university. Uh, That's what the, what the like tagline was uh-huh. the entire time. Um, and then we'd have 25% uh, going into like our own expenses or whatever um, but then it was like for example school supplies and stuff because I had a job my parents were like well we don't need to pay for this so factor that into your 25% clothing factor that into your 25% like shoes and shit like that factor that into your 25% so like anything that you like needed was something that because we were like air quotes self-sufficient it was on us to do it but you had to have that within that 25% window of that budget so to operate in that space essentially. Jeez.
0: And That's then, real strict. Yeah, I don't yeah. know many adults that do that.
1: Yeah, I, well, I, I don't even fucking do that right yeah. now. <laughs> it's like I dropped that a long time ago. <laughs> but it's crazy. Um, and so yeah, that was that was something that was just uh like I guess regular for us. I, I mean, I, I had friends and I knew that that was not the way they lived. Like any of my friends that actually had a job, which wasn't a huge amount, but there were some. Like that was theirs. They got to pay whatever they want and all that kind of stuff. A good yeah. friend of mine is like snowboards all the time and I ended up buying gear off of uh like whatever shows and stuff and it's like it's not like you had to operate in that kind of strict type of budget I mean there was some degree of a budget I'm sure you had but it it wasn't anything like that um and then um so that was like one thing and I guess just a small example of kind of the craziness that they had honestly the, the best example um that I have of their kind of craziness, uh, which is just the one that like sits with me the most Mm -hmm. is, um, in grade seven. Uh, I think it was grade seven. It was definitely middle school. Um, there was one, one random day where I got pulled out of class. Um, and I didn't know what the hell was going on Mm -hmm. and I got put in this other room. Um, and it was like, room that was like clearly in the kind of special ed type of department uh-huh. and i was looking around being like what's going on like i have no context here and am i in trouble like what did i do and then they put some test in front of me and i have to like write this test i'm like why isn't anyone else doing this or uh-huh. whatever um and then uh finally somebody broke it down for me being like oh your uh, your parents think that you should be in like the special ed program and i was like yeah nice to me. I, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. It's like I I did not know that this was going to be a thing. Like it's not like I had any kind of like uh preconception that they had concerns or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um the only thing I could distill it down to, which is just like how my personality operates in general is I just I challenge things all the time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it is. I just challenge it. Um and they're the type that don't like to be challenged. So, it was just like this constant like, yeah, this constant pestering on them and it wasn't anything like i i I can learn my boundaries real fast uh, and and i had to in that situation otherwise you just get fucking hit Mm -hmm. so it was something that like i always tethered that fine line um and i mean like my stepmom's not a smart person at all and my dad is like he's
0: engineering smart but he's not people smart Uh, so he might have also been kind of taken along for the ride from her right she might have been oh, he, a lot of that 110 yeah, percent,
1: yeah yeah so that that's uh what i was referencing before when i said he was like a nice guy back then every year of that marriage was just degrading 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 Shit, um and it just like he, he, everything that she thought and said just whispered into his ear yeah. and then he just acted it out essentially so he was the fist she was the brain yeah. so to speak but it wasn't that good of a brain yeah so it was it was one of those things that like it it was just a toxic situation through and through um and it just was like that throughout the entirety of childhood for me so it was one thing that um in that example is just like i'm sure she was the one that thought that there was some sort of problem or whatever and then executed on that um and then, yeah, so I like, I mean, wrote this test and obviously I didn't belong in this room at yeah. the time. Um, but also in hearing that that was like how they saw the situation was like super upsetting I was like fucking livid, like absolutely livid. But I knew there's nothing I could do. How
0: old are you at that time?
1: Uh, when would that have been? Whatever grade seven translates to an age. I, uh, well, I want to say like maybe 14, 13, something like that. Something yeah. like
0: that. My goodness. Yeah. See, Um, I got evaluated, but for gifted program when I was younger, but my mom told me that at the time. Right. And that was also, I was disruptive, but it was because I was bored, which is probably if you were disruptive was the same thing. Right. Absolutely. So it it often gets read as the opposite. Right. And luckily, like where I was at, it was, there was a lot of good teachers that could recognize it for what it was, but we're in the same region too. So it's a little odd that.
1: Yeah, Um. I think it struck my teachers
0: as strange. Okay. Because it was something my
1: parents wanted to go through, right? Yeah. It was, it was, and, and with the way that they are, if, if one of the teachers had said, no, I think it's the opposite, my parents would have been like, you're crazy. You have no idea what you're talking about. We're the one Mm -hmm. raising him. You're not. Like, it would be that kind of mindset that they would have. So it, it, it's like, there, there would be no point for them to argue with, with my parents. So they, they probably just went around about doing that. I never really found out, um, exactly how that entire scenario, played out from behind the scenes it's mm-hmm. just i was in the situation without having any context so it's just that was all the information i had but yeah it was, it, was, it was pretty wild but that's just like a a point to which how crazy they are mm-hmm. or like how, how like just their mindsets and that kind of stuff um so for me uh i always 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 if i had a free second i was out of the house always yeah if i i, I hated being at home absolutely hated it like it was one of those things that people it's like, Oh, I hate going to school, I hate right. going to work. It's yeah, like, yeah. Oh no, those were my freedoms. <laughs> like I got to get the fuck out of house. Yeah. And every time I had to go back home was when it was just like, fuck, when like when are they coming back home? Like I, I gotta figure that out and then figure out how I'm gonna just like essentially hide away and not yeah. not have to interact. Jeez. Oh, That's um, hard. So from that end, it was just like, that, that was the mentality is like getting out of home, getting out of home, getting out of home. And, uh, I mean, uh, a prime example of this, um, like I, I'm getting married in September and my dad's not coming to the wedding. Um, yeah. and I, I invited my mom, but I mean, like it was something that we spent what, uh, well, I guess fast forward a little bit like 19 years apart. Uh, oh yeah. Another point of craziness that was with that. <laughs> um, so the kind of fucked up element too is, is uh, there was some contact because like legally court wise, Mm -hmm. like the parents that have some degree of a uh, like co-custody type of deal, even if it's not true co-custody, there has to be some degree of like a visitation limit, like limitation and, and allowance. Mm -hmm. Um, And at some point, I don't know how this ended up working out, which I don't think legally it probably should have, but Um, There was a point when uh, it was around nine, maybe isn't around that, yeah, seven to nine window, something like that. Uh, My dad got me and my brothers uh, to write my mom a letter saying we never wanted to see her again. Um, And then uh, we ended up moving, I think, shortly after to Milton. So we were in Mississauga prior. We moved to Milton. And then from Milton, we moved to Kitchener. And that was around that grade seven era. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just after grade six. So like, uh, I guess the only way I remember it is like 9/11 happened in grade six. I so would have been 2001. Yeah, so I would have been 12 at grade seven. Okay. Yeah, not 13. Yeah. I guess that's that's a weird, twisted way to think about it. Um, but yeah, so so essentially it was just like a lot of moving around. Uh, and then I think that moving around made it quite hard for my mom actually to even have that kind of contact and visitation. Mm-hmm. So it just it just ceased to exist essentially. So yeah. so there was like a a solid like. 10 to 12 year window before I actually reconnected with her. Um, but she, she's potentially going to be coming to the wedding or whatever. But yeah, like I, I don't have other than my brothers and her, I don't have family essentially going at all. Um, but for me, it's like, because I was out of the house so much all the time, my friends became my family. Like a good friend of mine uh, lives actually, a, uh, has been living in Whistler now for like nine years or so. Mm-hmm. Like me and his family have, have been very tight Um, throughout and and something that like they have been a family to me as well throughout that time. Um, But all my like other friends throughout high school, friends I made through university, like that just entirety of that spectrum for me has been like, I've always viewed good friends as as family essentially, because they've been able to provide a lot more than family has been able to provide. As Um, chosen. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's chosen family in a way it's, uh, but I mean, like the other thing is, is that like you, you have to have some substitute, right? Yeah. Like there, there was no way that that would have been a functional relationship family wise for what was prescribed there. Like there's no fucking way. Yeah. Um, so to find that was something that like, if, for example, if I wasn't allowed to leave the house, I, I would, I don't know where I'd be today. Like I'd, I just would not have made it anywhere. Yeah. it would have been completely stifled. Um
0: there's definitely some kids that, oh, that have that that is the reality. Yeah, it's
1: it's, it's brutal. Damn. Um but for me like the the light at the end of the tunnel because from what I could see around me is like all my brothers got kicked out Um, Whether it was they didn't have the exact grades that my parents wanted to see or whatever, um, or they go and and they buy something out of their budget. That's just a complete defiance of their law, so to speak. It's like it's shit like that, that it's just like it's you're riding this fine line the entire time. If you step out of line, you're you're done. Mm -hmm. Um, So from that end, it's like I I, um, my grades weren't like weren't good at all. Actually, in high school, I, I think I averaged like
0: 60. Something like that. Um, it sounds a lot like uh, one of my best friends um, and my roommate from undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a really fucked up life. Uh, mom was bipolar, broke up with his dad when he was really little, moved him to Colorado from Canada just with this guy that she met on like Christian Mingle or something Damn. who was like a prison guard and he was a very angry person. They lived like in boonies in the mountains. Damn. So he had like no contact with people. So he pretty much just read and that was like his outlet. Oh, no. And then he kind of escaped and he went to live with his dad in high school to finish his last two years in Winnipeg. Huh. And he worked in the restaurant industry and it was really fucked up life that way too. Had terrible grades his guidance counselor was like, okay, well, you're not going to university, so you want to look at a vocational school or yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that? And he's like, no, I'm going to university, man. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? So I'm glad he made it, but um, there's definitely a lot of uh, baggage that he had to work through oh, yeah. coming from that. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely.
1: That's something that... Now he's a
0: millionaire, though. He just sold his first company. So. Fuck yeah. There you <laughs> go, man.
1: That's awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, for my end. Yeah. The, the only reason why I went to university was, uh, a amicable way to get out of the house. Yeah. That was it. That yeah. was the only driver. It was just like, I need to get out of here without getting kicked out. Cause my yeah. odds of, of making it out, is going to be pretty damn low. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I got to, so in, in grade 12 was basically when I was like, oh fuck, these grades actually have to be good in order for me to go to university. So I was like, mid-60, 60, low-60 60 average to, like, 90. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, as soon as you apply yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and then I I ended up having to take a, an additional semester in grade 12 because uh, there were grade 11 grades that were technically important. Oh. Uh, so I, I ended up taking additional courses to kind of compensate for that and then have my chances of getting in much higher. So... It wasn't like perfect. Uh, it was definitely a little bit of a delay. So like I had that additional like year of, of stuff essentially that you have to stay for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so that that is a another like small detail as to why I, To fast forward a little bit. I transferred to Ph.D. Like half the reason was like I wanted to race that year that I tacked on from high yeah. school. Yeah. So to do that, like transferring from master's to Ph.D., you lose some time doing that, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so. Got into university, um, just had like the mindset, oh yeah, I'm gonna go and try to be a doctor and da da da. Right. <laughs> like, it's just everybody thinks that in a way. And it's like the reality of the situation is it's almost no one gets there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was uh, just, that, that was like the initial mindset. And I was just kind of existing in that space, and it was all was hunky dory um there was like an element where my parents had promised well promise that it's like if you get into university we'll pay for your first year or whatever um so that was something I was, it was more incentive as well it's like I get to get out of the house I get to pay for this stuff for me mm-hmm. in the first year or whatever um and so it was it, it the execution wasn't actually that though like they never paid for shit essentially there there's a small amount that they did cover and then like the amount that I saved from that budgeting I did for the past like almost seven years worth of time just like in the first year university gone that's it and uh it's just like okay well that felt like it was for absolutely fucking nothing (laughs) like didn't get anything off of this or anything like that um it would have been handier if like that amount that was being budgeted my dad were to be coaching me and being like you should throw this and invest into this or that kind of thing like it's meaningless at that point in time, but it gets your feet wet. gets you into that space and then you can have a better understanding of it more. There's a little bit more investment for like yourself and learning that it's like, that would have been a smart way to go about teaching, uh, in the beginning. And it would have been something that at the time as a kid, you'd be like probably a little pissed off that your money is going towards that. But then if I was my age now and looking back that I had been in that situation, I'd be like, all right, you know what? Fine. <laughs> yeah, that, that pays dividends, right? Like it's, it, that would be something that would have been worthwhile, but in any case, yeah. So that, that transpired. Um, and then it wasn't until, um, second year of the university, what was it? Genetics and cell bio. Those yeah. two courses. Fuck man. I love them. <laughs> I, I mean like they, they were not necessarily easy uh, yeah. and they weren't necessarily taught by the best people ever, but just the concepts of them was like, super cool to me. Uh, like Everything in high school is like, mitochondria has the powerhouse of the cell and that kind of shit. <laughs> and it's just like very broad strokes and then yeah. you get into like the university versions where you have like fucking motor proteins and all these kind of like PKs and all that. Getting kind of into stuff. the like, details now. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like you're actually like distilling this down into a functional unit um, and like how these things are intertwined and operate together in a way that's like, it's controlled, but it's still like stochastic in a way. Um, and, and the fact that it works is just like insane to me. And I was like seeing this, I was like, Holy shit, this stuff is fucking cool.
0: Yeah. Genetics um, I absolutely love. Yeah, yeah. I love the problem solving of it most hmm. of all. Cell biology, I hated for whatever reason. I, I can't remember why. I think I really just cared about the genes. Like yeah, well, it's the, a lot less
1: exact, right? Like the the cell biology side. Yeah. It's just like Yeah, I
0: guess I like that. It's like almost mathematical in some ways. Um but I also remember I started drinking coffee that year because the genetics exams were like eight 30 or something. Oh yeah. (laughs) I just wasn't awake. I couldn't do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, that, that, that was something for me that, um, woke me up to science. Like that, that was like the point
0: Uh, I was going to ask you, was there a turning point somewhere? That that was
1: it. That was absolutely it. Um, and I was like super stoked to go to class every time that I went. Uh, and I was just like, this is the coolest thing. Um, and then I, at that point, I still had it in mind that I wanted to do the whole med school route, um, but it got to a point, too, where I was, like, toying with the fact that I probably am not going to have the grades that, like, other people had yeah. at the time either. Because then you got the mentalities to deal with where, and, and this is just something I never believed in. I just always wanted to take what I was interested in. I don't give a shit how hard Damn. it was. Um, then you have people. It's like I'm just going to take as many bird courses as I possibly can, get killer grades, and then go go into
0: med school or whatever it is. Yeah, um, it's a very artificial process to yeah, get into med yeah. school because it's very prescribed now, yeah. and it selects for people essentially that know exactly what they want to do coming out of high school, and they kind of sacrifice a little liberty, liberty the first two years to get those really good grades. And that's when I fucked around the most.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, it didn't help that I had that like additional year at high school where I was kind of picking up those fallen pieces to improve my odds and get into university. That experience was basically like first year university. So I, I had to do that again, essentially. So the first year university is just like smoke weed every day, fucking play games, yeah. just dick around, go to parties and that kind of thing. So I was like fine. All right. I'll do that. <laughs> then second year hits. And then it's just like, Whoa, this yeah, is all new smash shit. You in the face. Yeah. yeah. All, all these still, labs you labs you have to do. To yeah. It. And you're yeah. still like running over the the past mentality of the first year. You're like, I can, yeah. I, can keep it, I can keep it up. I can keep it up. Let's keep it going. Um, and, and there was a slight, like a slight grade hit, uh, for second year. And then the biggest hit was actually for me in third year. Um, there was just a lot of like volunteering type of things. Cause like I was still in that mentality of like, got to go to med school, got to go to med school. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I knew that I didn't have the like air quotes, like privilege of being able to go to fucking Africa and build houses for people mm-hmm. or like, like have positions from parents essentially like locked into labs or like hospitals or anything like that. So I didn't have that experience. and like, okay, well the only way I can get this kind of volunteer checkbox off is if I do it through the year but then you have to compete with the people that have like a summer's worth of hours with that shit. And then it's like, okay, well, I got to put a summer's worth of hours during the school year while I'm, so it's like, I was just like stacking all these things on top of each other while trying to have like a normal social life on top of that too. It's just like, doesn't add up. No, it doesn't. Absolutely not. Uh, and, and then that was just like at the end of the year, looking at the grades, I'm like, like, there's no way I'm making this work. Um, which is fortunate too. Cause like, my fiance is in doing her residency right now and I've been living vicariously through the entire med school experience. There and you go. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I would have fucking hated
0: this. <laughs> I feel like if you like to challenge the status quo or authority That's as well, it's not the it, yeah. place for you. Absolutely they not. kind of train you to, to get into your lane essentially. Yeah, absolutely. One of my friends said, uh, he essentially feels like a glorified technician for the human body. And so he wasn't expecting that at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm not one to say, but I feel like that's not too far off. Like yeah. that, that sounds pretty reasonable. It's it's like anything though, right? Like you have a job when you first start it. Nine times out of ten, especially if it's not something you have experience with, you're like freaking out. You're like, oh shit, am I gonna be good at this? Do I have the skill set to even make it? I have to learn all these things, and I don't know it, but all these people around me do. And mm-hmm. just like have to have to keep your like your name as elevated as possible too. Yeah. So it's like all these stressors, and you get to a point, you do it over and over and over again. It doesn't matter almost what it is. It's like you'll get good at it. And yep. It's just like that's your job. You live it day in day out. Um. And if that's the one thing with science that I like is like there is a limitation to that in that there is a project you're working on. There's a certain thing you're trying to investigate and sure. Yeah. Your, your cell culture or whatever, that becomes very robotic and routine, but like you're asking new questions all the time. You're you're investigating new things in new ways. You're taking new data and distilling it down into new thoughts and like all of that stuff. There's an element of new constantly that you're working with. versus like, you have someone come in with, I don't know, appendicitis and you do that operation. And then you have someone else that comes in with appendicitis, you do that operation. It's like, there are very few cases I think that you start expanding you and that you're just like constantly exposed to new material. Um, and, and with that, it's like, I can totally see how somebody gets into the zone where it's like nine times out of 10, they just feel like a technician. Yeah. And it's like, you you are doing the prescribed like methodology and protocol, the SOP, if you will, right. of that same thing over and over and over again. And that's, yep. that's it. Um, yeah, no, totally true. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's something that uh, in va- being able to kind of live vicariously through that was was uh, good enough for me to know that I made the right call for myself, anyways. Because um, otherwise, yeah, I probably I, I don't know what I would have done. Like, I probably would have wanted to go into surgery because I just know, like, technically, with hands-on stuff, like yeah. I'm decent at that, and and like I have hobbies that are just like around that kind of thing because I just enjoy it and I'm decent at it. Yeah. Um, and just that in itself, like what you said is just like, I would probably end up feeling that way. Um, and then would I want to get involved with research thereafter, like whatever happens to be, I don't know. Um, but that's something I could see myself like burning out with maybe, uh, not exactly getting the same kind of fulfillment out of it that I feel like I would with what I'm doing now. But, Mm -hmm. um, Alternatively, I mean, like there's gotta be fields and stuff that I'm just ignorant to where that doesn't happen or or places you can live where there's enough variety that you don't feel that way. So, I mean, it's very close minded of me to like think that that's just how it would end up being. But at the same time, like from what I saw or what I have seen statistically, I'm sure it's like a likely probability that that would end up that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean like the, the, choice to make, like, it wasn't disappointing to me per se that I wasn't like, I came to terms with the, you're not getting to med school part very quickly, uh, because I had that baseline interest in like that cell bio and genetics side of things. Um, and then I had the experience with like the physiology courses. So I I was like very torn between cell bio and genetics. And I decided then, uh, at third year to change my entire spectrum, which did not help with the whole med school bit because I was still like on med school mind, but I was like, this stuff is super cool. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna do an honor special in genetics, uh, which basically is like a honors thesis style course structure, um, which is slightly more than a major, very slightly. Yeah. And then I decided, well, I could do a minor in physiology, but I like it a lot. So I'm gonna do a major. <laughs> oh, so you ended up doing a double major Yeah. So so I I yeah, I basically uh hmm. ended up pushing the course boundaries a little bit. So I was overloading courses, um, on top of doing that volunteer bullshit. And My it, it was stupid, yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was stupid, but it, it was fun too. Like all the courses that I was taking, I fucking loved it. It's like yeah. things on viral cassettes and like, uh, Uh, at that point in time, next gen sequencing was like just becoming a thing. Oh yeah. I thought that was really cool. So I was like getting into that spectrum. And then on the physiology side, it's all like the, how the systems interplay with each other, hormones and growth factors and secreted factors and like tissue development and involvement there. And it's like all that stuff, like both of those windows for me were like super cool. And I just like, I've always had this thing where I've just been interested overall in in that entire spectrum. Yeah. Um, so like, for example, the conference here is like not relevant to what, well, not, not relevant, but mostly not relevant to what I do work wise. But I'm just like the last talk just before coming here is like, um, somebody who's dissecting out like cell circuits, uh, for, throughout development and using like next gen approaches and machine learning to, to kind of like deconvolute these massive data sets into like, these kind of uh, feed forward and inhibitory circuits and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I'm like, that's fucking sick. Like, and it's, it's, as you said, like it's that calculated kind of aspect of genetics as well. But because there are so many factors in these interplays and it's all based off of the values and the amounts as, and ratios of all of that, that it has that determinant outcome based off of like what exposure is at what time and in what place too. Um, and all of those things interplay in so intricate ways that it can get figured out, absolutely can get figured out. But it's just like we don't have enough right now to to get there. But on top of that, it's just like you've got um, like the small examples of those kind of cell circuits and all that kind of stuff. That's like seeing you in the face, and you are like, yeah, this is like how everything works. So this is a small example of that. So to get there one day would be super cool. But yeah, its so just looking at that talk, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. And it's like, I will never work on this, almost certainly, <laughs> but it's so cool. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, so, so from that end, I mean, it's something that um, I, I was easily able to lean into the cell biology and genetics side of things uh, throughout the remainder of the undergrad program. Got a little bit of research experience in the genetics lab when I was doing my honors thesis. Um, yeah. And then... I was very much of the mindset. It's like, I don't want to be sitting behind a computer the rest of my days. Because that's like, I, I could see at that point in time, that's where genetics was going. Like mm-hmm. everything was going to be um, computational biology at that point. yeah, uh, And very little like lab work requirement. Uh, so I was like kind of weighing the options. And it's like, I could see as well that that was something at that point in time that would be super powerful and will be super powerful. Um, and I was like, well, there's that element and I'm sure that could like, push me down the roads quite well. Um, in reality,
0: they all play together. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. I'm, I'm like, just in terms of like looking at job prospects, it's like yeah. the demand for computational biologists right now is like way it's higher than, than anybody who does bench work. Yeah, way higher <laughs> uh, because it's so applicable. It's like you go across anything, you go across cancer, you go across metabolos- metabolomics, uh, you're, you're like, um, uh, Jesus, just lost the name for it. Uh, microbiome, mm-hmm. like all that kind of stuff is all, all these omics approaches, all these yep. heavy data sets and all that kind of stuff. So from that end, it was something that like I could see that that's where I was going. But at the same time, there's like the part of me, it's like, again, I just went towards what I was most interested in and like the, the, the bench work, the animal models, the preclinical, like that kind of stuff, like the actual application of it, um, was something that I was like a little bit more interested in if I had to like weigh my options there. Mm -hmm. Um, so then I decided to lean into the physiology side of things for what I wanted to do for grad school. And then, uh, with the stem cell course that I took, I was chatting with, with, uh, Dr. Hess and I was like, can I be a summer student in the lab? Um, and he, fortunately enough, that ended up working out. It was like me against some other pre-med student, I type of thing. I thought I was done. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm fucked. This guy's super smart. Like it was yeah. a, a buddy of mine. Uh <laughs> and like this guy, there's no way that they're not gonna take him. Somehow they took me out. So I was like, all right, fuck yeah. I'll yeah. I'll, I'll run with it. Uh
0: um, well, that might have sensed your enthusiasm.
1: Yeah, maybe. Maybe. That could have been the the deciding factor there. Uh just the overall interest and enthusiasm behind it. Um, and then yeah, I got to work in that that lab for a bit and then uh, started a master's basically right after that mm-hmm. and just kept on running, running, running. And then, yeah, the the kind of decision making element was like I, I was enjoying the projects I was working with um, and it was something that I had met my fiance at the time. So we were together and when I had to make the choice as to like, do I go somewhere else for a PhD and finish my master's mm-hmm. or do I just transfer out of the master's? So I've got... Uh, like if I had to do the option one there, it's like I would have to go somewhere else in, in all likelihood. Like it wouldn't be wise to just stay at Western, for example, yeah. that entire time. Um, and if you wanted to maximize that experience, the best possible thing is like shoot Ivy League. Just yeah. just go hard fast right. and, and get into a lab where you can get networked. You have the name behind it um, and that kind of thing. But there was also the part of me that was just like, well, I'm comfortable with where I am. Like I'm in a decent enough relationship on top of, I have now the ability to, chop like 2 years off of the the lifespan of my entire career it's like fuck it i'll go do that yeah. um and i i also saw that as an opportunity cuz the the element in the lab that was nice is like i had pure autonomy essentially like i had the option to do well i mean the the projects are prescribed and they always will be for almost everything that you do there is some degree of a boundary you have to play in but there wasn't any sense i was getting that i was being told how to play right i just could play yeah So that was the cool part for that. Um, And I just ended up sticking with that, transferred PhD and then, uh, yeah, that uh, that was a a five-year endeavor or so. And then uh, still on that academic mind track the entire time. And I mean, like, I'm also like super biased because like all the people we get lectured by are people who did science in like the early 90s or late 80s or whatever it happened to be when everyone was just buddies with one another. And there was like open lab space and that kind of thing. And it was just a little bit more open and free. The competition yeah. was way less. Like yeah. it was just a different ecosystem ecosystem structure. And mm-hmm. I had this like idealized thing in my mind that that's yeah. the way it'd be. It's like, oh yeah. Well, be,
0: that's the stories they all told, right? Yeah, They're yeah. like, it'll get back to there eventually. And it's like, I don't know. No. I don't know. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, yeah. It, it's uh, it, it's definitely like
1: a hyper competitive environment at this point where the politics and, and essentially what uh, what you have to offer isn't as important as where you, you got your skills from. Which, I mean, yeah. the skills are the skills. Like if you learn PCR, or you learn whole genome sequencing, or you learn cell culture, it doesn't matter if you're in like George Church's lab or some no-name lab, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's just the fact that you're in those spaces that that gives you value in general. And if you don't play in those spaces, you will not compete against the others unless you had some like... Yamanaka style discovery of like turning cells into I don't know whatever you want it's just like you you have the the degree to which you need to succeed is like well beyond what you would need to for any of the other places if you're coming from the right place yeah um and I I started realizing that quite quickly uh just like after I jumped into postdoc, I mean, it wasn't as apparent in the PhD side of things because that entire environment at Western, it's like, I'm sure if I stayed at Western, I probably could have gotten a job there and been a PI there and that kind of thing.
0: Eventually yeah. you might have to wait for seven years. Or yeah, probably.
1: I mean like, and and that's, that's the thing is like the, the possibility of that does exist. It's just, it would take a little bit of time.
0: Um, well, I started to think of it as like, uh, well, especially in the Boston area, but it's like, it's a competition of who can eat the most shit and still stay standing and like want that position. Yeah. Whereas I'm like, I don't need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I I don't like to torture myself. I don't want to, you know, take less than is my value. Just, I don't know, to virtue signal or something. It's not what I'm after. I want to like do the real deal. Like I don't need to play pretend games. Like, I'll go make a difference and to me it's, I want to affect patients, so I got to make some drugs. I got to make products, right? Instead of just ideating, ruminating in a lab and never talk to patients in my life. I was like, that's not what I want. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's good that you came to that real,
1: realization a little bit sooner. I mean, like, I, I think that um, because I was so hard on the academic train, I was like, I, I just needed to see that through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then
0: I, I ended up getting that postdoc position. Could we, could we I, like, kind of pause at that stage and, like, walk through what you were kind of thinking or the feedback you were getting in sort of like that, like, maybe the last year of your PhD? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um,
1: so fr- from that end... Um, essentially the, the mentors that I had around me were very much like, because they're in academia, they, they were encouraging of that. They, they wanted me to stay in that space. And, um, I remember being told by SAGN like to, to see it through, for example, and that like I could, I could make something of it. Um, and, that type of kind of feedback in general and, and being able to play in that space as well, like going to these seminars and asking questions and that kind of thing that were, uh, stimulating enough. And like, in my mind, in some cases better than what some of the PIs were asking and that kind of thing. It just made me feel like I was part of that. Yeah. Um, so I had that kind of inherent, like I belong here feeling mm-hmm. on top of like, all of that ideation of like, this is how I would expect, like, for example, all these kind of PIs that I know, I'm like down the road, if I had my own lab, I'd collaborate with them. I'd be friends right. with them. Yeah, I'd meet yeah. up with them what, this once a year and not get you sleep. You could or, envision <laughs> that
0: future. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah exactly. Um, and that was something that like, it's it was just like how I thought things would progress. Um, and I knew there was going to be like a challenge in the sense that going and doing a postdoc may not be enough yet. I'd probably have to do two because like, probably half the pis are, are already doing that when kind of i realized
0: thing. that i was like oh i think i'm out yeah I yeah that, out. That, i gotta that, find a way around this there's no way i got this far and then i'm looking another six seven years yeah fuck that. yeah yeah
1: yeah that 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 <laughs> to me was like a tough pill to swallow
0: but then there was the element of that
1: that i was like but the autonomy yeah you'll have it all <laughs> and i was like fuck <laughs> Um, and, and at that, yeah, at that point in time, like that, that was more or less it. I mean, the other thing is, is it was also, um, I can't remember if it was earlier on in the podcast or whether we were talking off air or whatever, but, um, there was no stimulation from the side of, uh, experience with, with industry. Like there's no industry in Canada, right? Right. Uh, well, and it's not, there, there's none, there's very little, uh, but you don't, you don't hear about that. There's no ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, you don't have people coming to your Institute to give lectures and being like, yo, join up, this is how things work here. Like that just yeah. wasn't a thing. So it's like, not only was it a lack of information from the industry side, um, but the information that you do have is essentially like super big name institutes and, and you hear things from other people about how they operate. And I'm just like, yeah, fuck that. I'm not like the autonomy is, is not there. And, mm-hmm. and I just would not have that kind of like ability to play in a space that I would like to play. Um, And then on top of that, having the ideation that I was just talking about with the academic side of things. So it's like the lack of information on one side and like the ideation on the other. And I'm just like, I'm doing it. I'm going down that road. So at the tail end of my PhD, it's just kind of like the, this is kind of the skin that you have to put in the game in order to make it work. Unfortunately, unless you go to a good institute, get a good paper then you can bypass that line. Mm-hmm. So that was my mindset going into it. Yeah. Um, and then I applied to like Ivy League places and and basically tried to get what I could. But I also tried to have a main focus on picking, which was kind of stupid in my mind in a way, um, but also it was, it was good that I did it this way, but um, picking younger PIs. So ones that don't have a huge name for themselves, but obviously being at that institute means that they had done something pretty extraordinary to get there so yeah. it's like you're you're going to be riding on that kind of train but you're also doing it in a way that the the operator of said train is is still young and figuring it out and
0: going through what it takes to kind of stay alive in that ecosystem too yeah like so, there's there's almost like fresh blood in the system it's still moving forward yeah it can get a little stale in the older yeah but the, the stale
1: stuff. the stale part is is good for your career like if if someone has the opportunity to do that. That's the no brainer. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's as like, the
0: PI you're saying. Uh,
1: no, or as the, the incoming, uh, mentee. Okay. Like it'd be, this, if, if you started in the film industry and you had the opportunity to be mentored by like Quentin Tarantino or right. something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like that guy's a fucking legend. Yeah. And if you worked with that guy and had his mentorship nine times out of 10 or 9.999 times out of 10, you're going to succeed. Mm mm-hmm. Like it, that's just how it is. And it's the same type of deal in science. It's like you get into those labs that are just like the dinosaurs who invented the field. Right. And you will be getting like good stuff off of that. <laughs> and, and it's like, it's also the politics of it. Like your ability to publish a nature paper is just oh, that yeah. much easier. Like there's nature papers that come out and you're like, why the fuck is this in nature? And it's like, this is, this is completely yeah. like maybe a impact factor of like seven, not fucking yeah. 20 like it's it just doesn't make sense from that standpoint but it's it's just like how you're poised and and like what lab you're in who you know like that type of stuff so that that was something that became started becoming a lot more apparent when you're in that ecosystem cuz there were people that were publishing papers around me that was like this is not nature worthy right. type of stuff alternatively there's a ton of people that are publishing like really cool shit that t- absolutely deserve it but there are those examples um but from from that end i just also wanted to see like what somebody had to go through if you wanted to become a PI and mm-hmm. like what what you need to do to keep your lab alive so to speak. Like do you have to, uh, well I mean obviously this was uh, at like a high-end institute so it's not the same experience but it's still the, like one in the same in the sense of to like, what you need to do to set up your lab, what you need to do to get integrated in, yeah. the, in the faculty and all that kind of stuff and like how fast you need to publish, how fast you have to get off the ground and how much time do you have to spend into like making sure the incoming people are like, do you want to have people that are not trained at all? Do you have, want to have people that are already pre-trained and it's like all these types of small things that like accumulate to the whole as like stability for the lab and where you're going to go and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, you know what, if, if I can, if I can get through that type of experience and, and still see it out the other end as something I want to do, then that's going to be an indicator to me that I still want to go down this path. It's
0: a great test.
1: Yeah. Uh, because on the other hand, I had million, for example, being like, what the fuck are you doing? Going to industry? <laughs> like there's no point in doing a postdoc. Um, and I mean, it's, it's the same to your point as well. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's, I, I also didn't know a hell of a lot about it either. And, when i was in my postdoc and that was in the boston environment it was something that um you have people coming in from biotech lecturing and there's like this is the yeah. stuff we're doing uh and then you go and talk with them afterwards and you realize that it's like there's a lot of autonomy in those ecosystems because those startups are are very much new like it's something mm-hmm. that when you're doing that type of exploratory work and pushing those envelopes you're you're getting into a space where you have to um do additional research. You have to ask those additional questions. I mean, like for, for example, in my case, um, the work that I'm doing is is uh, working with cell therapies in a way that is just like, cell therapies exist now. But for example, you look at FDA regulations for, for cell therapies, it's not like small molecules and drugs and proteins and that kind of stuff. Like there aren't clear guidelines um, as to like a large part of the nitty gritty for that work, mm-hmm. period. And like, even in my case, knowing that I'm going to be helping to contribute to adding to those kind of stipulations and essentially drive the start of these fields is like, yeah, you have well, to do the research of the
0: industry, really. Yeah, 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 right? exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Um, and
1: at some point, it's like, I'm sure the company that I'd be at gets bought up by something bigger once this becomes more commonplace. Mm-hmm. And then you now are existing in kind of the pharma space. Um, but overall, it's something that's, um, like being a part of this kind of a new and involving ecosystem gets you, um, get, affords you the autonomy like that I was expecting out of academia and I did not have the anticipation that industry would have that at all. Yeah. Uh, I just very, I thought it was very like calculated. You're told what to do. You just go and execute and then just like, it's just assembly line type bullshit, uh, which is not the case at all. Yeah. Well, it might be more
0: like that up in Canada. Yeah, they don't have the ecosystem of the startups or doing more complex work where it's like interdisciplinary. And yeah, for sure here in the Bay, it's the same thing, right? Like they got Stanford, UCSF, Berkeley, Davis, um, really great schools. And then they have a massive biotech hub on top of it, right? So there's a bunch of crosstalk and cross-pollination there. Um, and just a lot of great minds that get to come together. And like it's commonplace, especially once you get into industry, that people hop around in between, right? So it's, you're always able to move up the ranks or work on something more that you want to. Uh, Once you're in it, you're you're there, right? That's why it's called an ecosystem. It can survive and thrive. And it allows for failure as well, right? Like you were saying earlier, you learn so much from failure. I think a big part of the ethos of Silicon Valley in general and the tech space is, fail, fail upward and fail big. Right. Yeah. You fail spectacularly almost and then do it again and eventually it'll work. So I think biotech here is, you know, kind of like that in some way, uh, not, it's not as easy. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I think the, the mindset's still there and, and I appreciate that for sure.
1: Yeah. No, and that's something that, um, the the more I was in the academic space, like the less affordance of failure there was too. Yeah, um, And that was the one thing that was like a massive safety net uh, during my PhD in a way. Like I only saw that in retrospect because like when you're in it, it's like everything matters, everything's important. And it's just like every failed experiment is gravity that you're just like, oh, I'm going to be kicked out of the yeah. program or <laughs> I'm not going to make it or whatever it happens to be that you tell yourself. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, you're still part of some faculty you're hired on by the Institute you're not really like technically you're hired on by a lab too. But at the end of the day, it's like you have the opportunity to fail and in a way it's like encouraged. Um, And, and it's something that like the recommendations I give to people when they want to pursue something like a PhD is like put yourself in the most uncomfortable position you possibly can. Cause this is going to be one of the last times you can do that and get away with it. Um, I think that's good advice. Well, in, in, in the postdoc experience that I had, it's like I, I tried to do it then. yeah, uh, And, and it, was, it was a massive learning experience for me. And I was like super grateful that that had occurred in general or had the opportunity to do it. But at the same time, like it was something that there was legitimate gravity to that situation. I mean, not only was it in the States, which means I needed a visa, yeah, but on top of that, it was like, if you fail enough in those types of positions, you can get fired easily because you're hired on by the lab, not the institute. And if you have somebody who's just like decides one day that they want to fire you, they can, like, there's really no, nothing stopping them. Um, So from that end, it's like, yeah, there is severity to that type of situation um, versus like the PhD that was not the case. And I didn't realize that until I was able to just like look back at it and and get to this point where um, you kind of, it's it's like you're riding a bike and you look behind you and you realize the training wheels are not there anymore. And you're like, fuck. (laughs) Um, so that, that was kind of the, the experience that I had on that front. And I mean, like with industry, there's, there is some degree of that as well. I mean, like it's stipulations and contracts when they're written, it's like, you can be fired for any Mm -hmm, reason really. mm -hmm. Um, so if you do poorly, I'm sure that that could be an outcome, but you, you'd literally have to fuck shit up real bad in order to have that be an outcome. Like it, or or be like purely defiant. They're like, oh, we want you to do experiment A. And you're like, nah, I'm cool. I'll, <laughs> I'll just do experiment C. Like yeah. just something completely relevant. And they're just like, okay, there's no point having you here. Um, so yeah, from that end, it's like the failure element, depending on the context, is not something that is like as allowed in that context. But I mean, for what you're saying though, it's like the types of projects you're working on, if they don't happen to work or whatever, it's like those failures are something you learn a lot from uh, and it's something that that is allowed. That is, that is stuff that is like that's how things get pushed forwards or whatever.
0: Um, yeah. but as long as you do a good experiment so you can know. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I
1: mean, but it also doesn't always end pretty either. Um, I mean, <laughs> true. um, trying to think about how much I can say on that front, uh, just like in terms of like stuff in, in the company, but uh, I'll, I'll try to keep it like super bright, vague. Um, but there, there's like a, a system or a process work that a pe- bunch of people work on or, or whatever, and it's just not working out, and things that people are doing are failing all the time, and it's like that's that's now getting into the, the like you're starting to have timeline crunches that you might not meet them, and it's like then everyone's getting all fired up, tensions get high, yep, and it gets it gets <laughs> it gets a little wild, uh, and and that type of failure if it happens enough is not good. Right. Um, but if it's something that there is like course correction and, and stuff that you can use as a means to actually um, help optimize or solidify or whatever to whatever process it is that you're working on or whatever, then different story. And this is like, that's how that type of progression happens. But if you're on a system or slash a team that's just like not performing well and they're constantly failing, it's like that would be something I would say uh, kind of crosses that line as like there's there is such thing as a too much element right. yeah yeah um, and then that starts getting bad but I don't know otherwise I would say that yeah it's it's something that the the failures and and just in general like my my kind of like way I approach life is I I try to get into situations where I, I challenge myself enough that where I do fail because uh, I know I'm going to learn more off of it I know it's something like I well I guess to back that up a little bit too. I don't try to be like, I'm going to try the stupidest thing so I can fail. Right. <laughs> it's it's more of a, like, I, I would, I like to push the boundaries of like, I, I legitimately think something's going to be fine and something's going to work. And if it works, it's great. I mean, like that means you're right. And then that feels good for the most part, but also to be in a situation where you're like, this isn't in my comfort space. Like this isn't something that I I, I am super comfortable with. This isn't something that I have like a solid foundation about. And if this doesn't work, that's just par for the course in a way. But at the same time, like you, you will learn something off of that. You will learn why it didn't work. You will learn what you were deficient with and, and that kind of thing. You will be able to push yourself like further um, because you did that. Uh, And that's something that like, in my mind, I hope that is a mindset I have that doesn't fade away, but at some point in time, like comfortability is still like, awesome yeah <laughs> like it, it's definitely something like being comfortable and that's that's the whole thing i was like that being comfortable is just comfortable like it, it is something that where you don't
0: you're relaxed you don't need to yeah. worry you're it, not stressed. it is the same though right it'll be more of the same so you're not changing circumstances right, right. Yeah. exactly but i think it's good to come in like waves maybe right yeah take, yeah take your rest be comfortable for a little bit gather yourself before making another big push yeah um so this is great. I think we're a little over what I promised you, so I want to make sure we get you some lunch. Okay. But I did have maybe one clarification question and one more question, yeah, if yeah, that's, that's all right? Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you're saying you went to industry from a postdoc at a big institution. Can you say uh, where you did your postdoc, how long you were there, and then um, how you jumped industry? Like, how'd you yeah, find yeah. out about that position? Yeah, yeah, I
1: guess I didn't explain that very much. So um, I got accepted uh, at a position at Harvard and I ended up doing the postdoc for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, the stipulated project that I started on, uh, well, prior to even going to the Institute, we had agreed on a project I'd be working on. I got there. It was not that at all. Oh, uh, It was a... a uh, existing project that was based off of bridge grant funding between Harvard and MIT. Um, and I got just thrown into that project because essentially the person heading that project got a position at Duke university. Oh. So they ended up just leaving and there was nobody that had the bandwidth to even work on that project. And it was already a funded project. So they, yeah. need, they needed to make work headway on it to to keep it alive. Um, so I was thrown into that. It was all like uh, immunology and intestinal biology. And it's like my background for oh, the PhD yeah. was like, like hematopoietic, endothelial and mesenchymal stem cells in the context of like diabetes vascular regeneration. So like separate spectrums. I I also did want to do my postdoc in immunology. Uh, Again, like the thing that I was mentioning where I was like, I wanted to make that jump and I thought it'd be safe to do so. Um, But I wanted to get into immunology because it's like one of the systems that is super relevant to regenerative medicine in general. It's like the, the stem cells is kind of like the uh, like the building blocks, so to speak, of that entire process and how it gets directed is through almost the immune system. Like you, that interplay is is necessary to to have that entire ecosystem work properly, uh, and it's just a whole balance between like inflammation and and repair, mm-hmm. essentially. So I I was really frustrated in my PhD that nobody in the stem cell field had adequate. <laughs> immunology knowledge and I'm like Yo, fuck that I'm just gonna go do it myself okay uh, so that that was like my mindset and I, I got into an immunology based lab but then the lab that was collaborating at MST was a a gut biology uh, mm, type of lab so there's a lot of like things that I just did not know in both fields at all uh, so I was just like thrown into that and it's like I was comfortable with that like I mean that's an example of, of the kind of throwing myself into challenging situations that I was mentioning it's like I could fail I'm, sh- I'm sure but it's also not unwise to just try to like learn as much as I can and force myself to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, so yeah, I uh, started that project and the uh, kind of foundational data that generated that project was something that was like very shaky at best. It wasn't anything that was like super sound and it was just constantly like every, every experiment I tried was like not going well. Shit. Um, and yeah, and it just like turned into this kind of like spike conversation that uh, my PI would have with me all the time essentially. Um, and it got me questioning whether I was even like functionally okay in science anymore and that kind of stuff. And it, it was super toxic. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, like that project kind of, we saw it to conclusion, I was doing experiments in like very orthogonal ways to get to the same outcome every fucking time. So it wasn't like it was that something was being done incorrectly. And then the guy who ended up leaving to Duke had tried repeating a couple of experiments and got the exact same result and was just kind of scratching his head about it. I'm like, yeah, this is like exactly what's going down. Um, so that we came to a overarching conclusion that the collaboration that we had with them was just not going to work. So we just ceased that entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we had like a, a kind of like a falling out in a way, uh, between me and the PI that was just more or less like, look, I, I did all the shit that you asked and and it was like, um, unfortunately it didn't work out and it wasn't that I was trying to not make it work out. It's like, I did my best here. And she realized that that was the case and it seemed like everything was okay. And that it's just like stresses were high. I mean, like in her case, she's got five years to make it work. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you're out. Right. So, and that's the whole thing with a young PI is, it's like you've got a clock that you're working with. So it's like, it's not an easy situation. It was very high stress. And it's like super understandable. It's like, you know what, fine, whatever. Um, And then I, I was working on a project thereafter that I thought was interesting, which ended up directly challenging the work that the PI that I was working for used to get the job at Harvard. Oh shit. Yeah, and and the data I had was basically um showing that that paper the what the findings were in that paper weren't 100% accurate. Um and then COVID hit. And then I was told to like kill all the animal lines that I have, kill all the cell lines I have, <sighs> like just basically wipe everything out. Uh and and at that point I was I was still kind of sticking with it and the more I was thinking about it I'm like, you know, this is like a toxic environment at this point. I have gone through it a year and a half at this point. Um And it's just, there's no hope in sight that this is going to be something that would work out for me on top of there being like, um, just all of the shit that had happened means that I have to start my postdoc from scratch again. Like there was nothing that was it. I'm not getting a paper out of this. I'm, I don't have any material that I can come back to. Like everything would be starting over. And I was like, it's terrifying that I'm I'm out. (sighs) Um, and I, I ended up pulling the plug on that, going back to Canada and just like renovating my fiance's place for like six months while I was looking for, for positions in industry. Yeah. And I was like, I I couldn't go West coast, uh, like California because, uh, like my fiance's ability to get a, um, position here would be super hard. Like you're foreign and you're competing to work in California. It's like, it's not going to fucking happen. Yeah. Um, so I was like, that was out of the picture. And then I'm like, I don't want to go back to Boston. Like, I just had such a bad taste in my mouth from that entire experience <laughs> that I was like, I'm not fucking going back. <laughs> and I was applying absolutely everywhere else in North America, and nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. And during like this entire course of renovations or whatever, um, I, I it got to around. So I got I got back in June, and then in October um, was was when I ended up just saying you know what enough time has elapsed that I didn't get enough bites uh like I was I was having interviews and that stuff uh, but there were positions I I I didn't want to take because it's just it wouldn't have been good um and then uh yeah essentially the uh October point hit and I was like fuck it I I'll, I'll open the search to Boston and like within a month I got a job yeah uh, There's just
0: so many there. Oh,
1: yeah, I mean. yeah. And I mean, like, the, the job that I got is, is is fantastic. Like, I'm absolutely loving it. Um, it's it's all... Glad to hear it.
0: Yeah. You no, deserve it's, it, man. <laughs> it's,
1: it's good stuff. Like, it's all, like, genome modification of cells, but also in a cell therapy context. So it's like I get to learn a lot more about the the gene editing side of things, which I kind of put that genetics background behind me in terms of focusing on the cell biology type, type of thing, but I get to still play in the cell biology space and just have, like a little bit of interplay with with genome modifications and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's 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 hit the spot so far. And the way I see it anyway is with how kind of turbulent the field is too is it's a very, very good opportunity to be able to climb the ranks. Yeah, and get, sure. get established oh, yeah. in that kind of thing. And if if you like the one thing I see all the time is people that stay in their job for like a year or two go to the next one, go to the next one. And it's like, that's good for climbing ranks, but it's also something that's like, what do you learn in that time? Like I the the thing I want to have happen is like where I'm starting now is kind of the start of where we're product, our product is and then see that through to the end of an IND, for example. And it's like having that entire breadth of experience, that is something you can port over right. anywhere else. Yeah. And then you'll actually have like meaning to the position that you're taking mm-hmm. uh, and be able to contribute properly to those types of uh, environments and like those workplaces and stuff, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Nice. Well, thanks for telling me your story. I have one more question Yep, and it's going to be super broad on purpose. Answer it however you like. Okay. Free form. Uh, draw it. So the lines if you want, but uh, what is life? What does it mean to you? Because I'm at a company now where we're trying to extend lifespan and it has me thinking about what exactly is life uh, a lot. Yeah, I love that question. (laughs) Um,
1: So for me, um, I guess it comes down to just overall what I believe in. uh, And it's just that we are a random chemical reaction that exists in the universe. Like there's just nothing more than that. (laughs) We're we're, we're just like, we exist, that's it. But the thing is, is we have conscious self. We have the ability to uh, feel essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so with those two things in mind, my, my thing is like the whole point of life is to maximize that experience as best as you possibly can. That's it. Um, and I mean like the, the balance there in a way is, is like, cause obviously you would want max happiness if you could, right? Like anybody in general, it's like, if the whole point of living is just to exist and experience, you might as well just experience good the entire time. Like why not? Um, but that being said is like, unless you're going to do it via drugs, which means your lifespan is going to be reduced drastically. Um, in order to get there, you have to experience bad to know that good can be better Yeah, in a way. Maybe I explained that very poorly, but no, not at all. Um, with, with that in mind, it's like, yeah, that's, and that's, that's kind of half the reason I like challenging myself because you put yourself in those kind of shittier situations. Not only do you get to learn from it, like you physically become better from it overall that means that you're more comfortable with yourself. You can feel better for yourself. You, you've, you've got that like breadth of knowledge. You have utility um, and you're a useful member in a society, which we're obviously a social being. So that's already yep. something hardwired into us already. So that's something that needs to be satisfied in order to actually progress in a, in a very like sane and happy way. Um, and yeah, I mean like getting into those challenging experiences and, and having hardships and stuff like that, are things that you can first off learn from, but then you use as experiences to make the things that are good feel better in a way. Uh, And and to me, that kind of point of existence is like just trying to maximize experiences and and try to have those experiences as best as they could be from learning from it, being happy with it, that kind of thing, so.
0: Wow, wow. (laughs) Okay, Dr. Sherman, that was a fantastic answer. I definitely could not say it better. Thank you so much for Thank wasting you. your time with me. No, it uh, great. it's been it's a pleasure
1: catching up. I, I would, I, I would love to have the role reversed here so yeah? I can get your origins, Sure. And all that.
0: Of course. <laughs> uh, but if you have a
1: podcast of that, I could do that. That's very impersonal. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's nice to, to actually have that kind of like dialogue and conversation. It's unfortunate. We couldn't have that
0: like back when we were at Western or whatever, yeah, But, but you know, all in due time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, this has been Bridge to the Bay with Dr. Varis. With more to come.